Hello everyone and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today is a special episode where we talk about an event held on August 10th, 2019, so probably the day this podcast comes out, called Destroy Your Art. It's an event where four unique filmmakers show their movies for the first time and actually the only time. Then they destroy it in front of a group of people. It's held by prominent Chicago community members Jack C. Newell and Rebecca Fonz. I talked to Jack and Rebecca about why this event actually exists. We also talk about film preservation, their favorite movies, and a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, Now, as you guys listen to this episode, it was conducted entirely on Skype, and it was the first time I ever plugged my sound recorder into... A computer and unfortunately uh, it wouldn't let me record it as backup as well so there might be instances where my audio cuts in and out so please uh, take an example from me and don't do something dumb like that where you'll have technical issues that you can't fix because of this technical issue my intro was ruined where uh, it sounds like this hello everyone and welcome to your your having said that I hope you enjoy the episode and we are going to start it now. So I have Jack C. Newell with me, and I hope I'm saying your last name correctly, uh, Rebecca Fons. That's right, like the Fons. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I just wanted to know a little bit about this event, because there's certainly a lot of thoughts that sparked my head as I read about it, but I, I would like to hear, hear from you guys as to what sparked uh, generated the inception of this and uh, how, how have the last uh, few years have it been? Sure. Um, so uh, Jack and I um, are both sort of part of the Chicago film industry in very different ways. Um, I have worked uh, in the film exhibition um, uh, world in Chicago for the majority of my professional career. I was at the Chicago International Film Festival for about a decade. And then, um, I rehabilitated an old movie theater in Iowa and now I program films. Um, so I'm always thinking about film, uh, in terms of, you know, who's distributing it, what film festival is it premiering at, uh, what release date is it getting? What are the grosses in that opening weekend, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and then Jack is a filmmaker who, of course, as a filmmaker, he thinks about lots of things as well, you know, like where is, what, what is the future of this film? What film festival is going, going to, what distributor will it get, et cetera. So we both spend a lot of time thinking about the life of a film and, uh, how we define success for films. Um, and so we, we just wanted to explore the, um, playing with the impermanence of film and the audience experience, um, and what sort of, uh, changes when you're watching something that you can't find in streaming, that won't be at a film festival, that will never be seen again, that that the life of it, that part of the conversation it becomes um, irrelevant and how that changes the filmmaking aspect and also the audience uh, experience. So that's how Destroy Your Art uh, in a very small little nutshell was born uh, over three years ago. Oh, wow, that's great. So which which ways have you destroyed movies before? Exactly, because I know if I read correctly, this year you're using a flame a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. If I'm correct, no, this is not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's no flamethrowers. Yes. <laughs> spoilers, but there is but, fire. Yeah, but... There is fire. Yeah, no spoilers. There is fire. Jack, you can probably speak to the destruction aspect of it. Yeah, um, 
this year so the first year we used like a gigantic basically it's like a paper shredder but for hard drives uh so it was like a hard drive shredder um which was actually maybe my favorites thus far we'll see how it goes this year but it's sort of fun you just like really want to make sure when you end up destroying this thing that there's no chance in heck that it'll ever be used again so uh the fun thing about that one is that it just was like turned these hard drives into ribbons last year we used a like torture device that we actually built with a friend of ours um that was a table vice that we put these like really gnarly spikes on and we impaled the hard drives with that which was actually a lot of fun um but every year we do try to change it up so this year we're doing a blowtorch um and uh. so we're going to be burning them which has always actually been um and we're, we believe we're going to have a fire firefighter on on standby ready to go in case things get out mm-hmm. of control yeah, so, that'd probably be a good idea. And <laughs> yeah. fire has fire has always been our we've always wanted to do fire from the very beginning. Um, and it's interesting because we're working with digital film, you know, celluloid mm. to to reference another Quentin Tarantino film. If you've seen Glorious Bastards, mm-hmm. uh, you know that it it burns very quickly and very. Yeah. Uh, well, spoiler alert. Hold on. I haven't seen this movie yet. <laughs> well, that, that one, I think it's gone past the spoiler threshold. Yeah, you're... So. Yeah. <laughs> I just heard about this movie that Quentin Tarantino made that sounds really good called Pulp Fiction. Have you guys heard of that? <laughs> what? No. What? No, never. Who are you talking about? <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, fire so, was always the idea. Was... Like, we always wanted to do fire, but, you know, it's just, there's some challenges. Easy with film, harder with digital technology. So, but we're gonna we're doing it this year, and maybe that'll stick. If we can if we can figure out the fire thing this year that works um, safely, then I think we might stick with that. Maybe not. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it definitely uh, fire definitely provides for a very visual experience in the destruction, <laughs> um, and we always like to note that Jack and I neither of us do the destruction. It is the filmmakers themselves that do it. So we are not the ones like ripping the films out of their hands and then destroying it. We give them that 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 pleasure or that pain, whatever, however they define it. Yeah, it's funny when you mention how, uh, you know, the movies used to be made on celluloid and now they're made through digital technology. Uh, I'd like to ask the age old question. uh, Do you prefer film or digital in terms of the uh, filmmaking process and the look of it? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's I have grown up uh, working in cinemas, and when I for my first job in a movie theater, we got reels of film. It's so yeah. weird. We keep talking about Quentin Tarantino. I'm not even that big of a Stop Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> 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 like a, a super fan. But I I distinctly remember getting Kill Bill, and it was you know seven reels or whatever, and loading it up into the projection booth. And now everything that I get for my cinemas is on a you know a DCP, which is about the size of a a med- it's about a, the size of a metal like VHS basically and it gets yeah. ingested in the server so I definitely miss the romance of film and and getting those those reels and the physical physicality of touching it and um and of course you know there were a lot of inconveniences with film um a reel would be missing or it would burn up or whatever but you could mm-hmm. you could also kind of manipulate it and do more to make sure that it looked good and with digital film you kind of load it up and you know, you can kind of turn the volume up or turn it down, but there's not much else, much else you can do. So I think there's a romance that lo- that is lost, but you know, it's also a lot cheaper for cinemas to present things digitally, yeah. and um, and a lot and and less people to kind of screw it up. Film, you've got to have somebody that they know what they're doing. You know, these are just computers and buttons and things. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, Especially... from a from a process, because I've shot on film, actually quite a 
quite a bit. I mean, I shoot more probably on digital now, but I've directed stuff on 16 and uh, 35. And uh, from a filmmaking side, from the process of actually how do you make a film, uh, like shoot a film, I, I think I probably like the film process better because um, with digital, you sort of... It's interesting working with filmmakers who... Um, haven't worked with film at all, and then working with filmmakers who've got a background in film <laughs> or have done film and that. There's a sort of, I, I don't want to say sloppiness because that might not be the right word, but with digital, you can sort of just start rolling. You used to have to really worry about like what you were capturing on film because it cost, it cost a lot of money, or even if it didn't necessarily cost a lot of money, it did cost something, and then also you'd have to sift through all that. Um, mm. So there was a little bit more of a... Um, you, what you committed to film, you ended up just sort of, you'd spend more time rehearsing. Nowadays, it's sort of an impulse that people just film rehearsals because maybe you get something you're lucky. You're essentially like everything you're doing, and it seems nowadays when you're shooting digital, it's like, yeah, maybe we'll get lucky. And it's sort of, there's a focus yeah. that you don't actually have as much um, that we used to have when we worked exclusively on film. And so I do sort of miss that. And whenever actually I, I'm filming, even on digital, I do try to run it like a film set in terms of that workflow because it's a tried and true 90, 800 year old sort of workflow that is nice. Um, in terms of the viewing of it, I think probably some people have a very good eye who could tell the difference, but I think most audiences will, would not be able to tell you what is on film or if it was projected on DCP. And I think that's probably fine as well. Yeah. yeah. It can be certainly challenging at times because I, I can't tell myself at times. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and I like to act smarter than everyone else and be like, oh, I absolutely <laughs> tell us. Sure. Yeah. And okay. I think, you know, cinemas like the music. Fox that does their 70 millimeter festival and they present films in 70 millimeter throughout the year. Um, they do a really good job of embracing it and really, and you know, or when yeah. they're presenting film, not even necessarily 70 millimeter um, and doc films as well um, at the university of Chicago. Uh, they do a really good job of making sure people know, because I do think it is hard, kind of hard as an audience member to tell sometimes, um, especially if the print is like pristine. So I like when uh, they let you know, there's actually a really great, um, group in, uh, I think it's called Celluloid Chicago, but they send a, a weekly email of everything that's showing on film in the city, um, which is great because there's some real nerds, I count myself one of them, who wants to really know, and, and even mm -hmm. if they, we can't make it to all of those things, it's really cool that people are um, carrying the torch, the celluloid torch forward and letting people know. Yes, absolutely. Team Nolan all the way. <laughs> uh, so do you think now, uh, I'm I'm always thinking about this one quote from Francis Ford Coppola, which I can only paraphrase, so I'm probably doing a disservice, but there was a quote from him on the uh, making of Apocalypse Now, you know, with the uh, documentary uh, uh, Hearts of Darkness, where he mm -hmm. said, you know, one day uh, some little girl in Ohio is going to use her... Uh, grandfather's uh camera and make a beautiful work of art and from there on the artistry of film will forever be destroyed and the funny thing is that soundbite is now on youtube under francis ford coppola predicts youtube and <laughs> uh essentially i what it makes me wonder is do you think today 
Uh, and I really don't have a lean towards this because I think it kind of goes both ways personally. But don't let my opinion sway yours. <laughs> um, do you think today with the accessibility of film technology, everybody has a DSLR, everybody can afford a, a, like a sound recorder and get a couple friends and they can get iMovie and make a film. Do you think that the artistry of film is now sort of a detriment to the technology or do you think it's more powerful than ever today or both? Yeah. Neither. I, yeah, either. And that's a really good question. No, I said neither. Oh, neither. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, well, I guess either and neither are sort of the same. I I think. Tomato, tomato. Yes. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, one thing, at least from my point of view is like destroy your art is not a um, judgment on the accessibility of film. I, I don't think we're making a statement that, that says like, well, because film is so accessible to make and because as to your point, everyone has a DSLR or they have a really good iPhone. Um, and because, you know, and everybody's making these Snapchat stories and filming little things on their phone. I, I don't think we're saying because of that, um, the value of film has um, gone down, but I think yeah. we are recognizing like, it is so true. Like someone could much, the accessibility of making film and making media is just crazy now. I mean, even compared to like five years ago, it's more accessible and people are trying it and making media and presenting, expressing themselves through the moving image. So I think, you know, that being said, like if you sit down and you watch a feature film, you know, from an auteur, like it is, you know, you know, you know, I mean, that is, that is talent and that is, you know, true art. Um, so yeah, that was sort of a rambling question or a rambling answer. But Jack, you, you <laughs> okay. clarify for me. You can make me sound smarter. Uh, no, I don't think I could do that. Um, <laughs> you're great. You're great as you are. Um, I think that it's sometimes that's like it's seductive to want to say that it's like films were better back then or films are better now for either reason. I mean, you can mm-hmm. I hear arguments on either side, and the Coppola one like. Yeah, whatever. Like I've heard, I've heard that one a lot of times. Yeah, it's a good yeah. one. Um, I think sometimes it plays into a mis what I would argue is the mistaken understanding of auteur theory, or it gets played into just the um, how people have told the stories of the famous filmmakers that we all know and love, um, that they just sort of came out of the box and they were geniuses or whatever, and you know. Yeah, I love Akira Kurosawa, probably one of my favorite ones to be a real nerd here. And like most people (laughs) think, you know, he made a lot of movies. He is director on like, I don't know offhand, but tens in the in the dozens, like 30, 40, 50, lots of films. Um, Not every single one of those was Seven Samurai, you know, or Mm -hmm. High and Low. Um, He made a lot of less good movies. And before he was a director, he was an assistant director for honestly a lot a lifetime what sometimes someone's entire career he was an assistant you know everyone's like well citizen kane was orson welles's first film and that's not true it's actually not even close to his first film and most Mm. of the stuff he did before then was not very good and it doesn't we have a sort of historical confirmation bias about that um that we want to tell that story of, of this is the way it was and you know we don't see his stuff so you can almost equivocate like the Kurosawa's or the early Orson Welles stuff so just like screwing around on their iPhones and then figuring out the form and then getting a chance to finally like get a project that in the way it comes together that makes sense and they can tell the story and it's it's beautiful it's wonderful I, I think the digital the way it opens up 
is great. I benefit from it. So it's hard for me to really argue against the world that we live in now because I'm a product of it. Um, and as a documentary filmmaker, it's actually, I think, part of, I'm almost more interested in the conversation as it resolves, revolves around documentary film because yeah. when you shot on film back when you're making documentaries, the, you know, you definitely were, you had to choose you, your shots very carefully. And now you can sort of, it changes your approach to how you, how you even shoot verite documentary stuff. So I don't know. I think it's, it's wonderful, but I do think that sort of getting back to the earlier question and maybe repeating myself a little bit, but the idea of the process that, um, that old school version of filmmaking, sort of, um, the discipline that was required to make that, I, I do believe filmmakers working today that are successful, um, are implementing that discipline. Um, and those who aren't are just sort of throwing stuff at the wall. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I'll also say, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, I'll also say that I think you know, as I know personally, and just you know, from filmmakers who I I know, filmmaking is like making a film is very expensive, and so <laughs> you know, if there is the opportunity to bring that cost down so that the art form can be more accessible to filmmakers who are emerging or who. Um, or on the margins and not able to, you know, if you if you're working in celluloid, it's I don't know, you know, how much it is per inch, but it's much more expensive than buying an SD card. And mm. so the the technology technological advances have definitely, I think, taken away some barriers to entry into the art form. And for as an exhibitor and someone who sees films at film festivals and they're that are often emerging voices um, or new new talents, it's really exciting because you know they can pick up a camera and they can start expressing themselves in a much less, um, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say the word elite, but it's just, a, it's a, the cost is, is much less intimidating and, uh, and ostracizing for some artists. Ah, uh, uh, yes, but there, there is, the thing that's still the same is that there's only so many hours in the day and only so many things you can watch um, every night after work or whatever on the weekends. And so the actual, there might be more supply to that regard, but the demand has not changed um, because there's only so much you can actually fill your brain with as it comes to your filmed media entertainment. And so I think for all of the one side of that conversation, which I agree, I think it's wonderful that, and Destroy Your Art is actually a celebration of those filmmakers who are in the process of coming out there and getting, you know, we want to, we're pro film and filmmaking. Um, but the challenge still revolves around how do your films get seen? And so for every filmmaker who's got a film that they weren't able to make 10, 15, 20 years ago because of the cost and they can make it now, they still are running up against the challenge of getting it seen by anyone. Um, because the, the everything's so saturated with everyone who's making films on their iPhones. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a great point that you made where, you know, a lot of people don't know that, but, you know, folks like Orson Welles and Kurosawa, they they did have to make a lot of movies before they kind of struck gold and found their own voice. And I think just digital is another evolution of that. Just uh, now it's easier to use, but we, we think that it's not, it doesn't mm -hmm. devalue it in any sort of way. But there are yeah. certainly two wonderful arguments to that conversation. Now, uh, let's say if we had a time machine and there was a way where instead of destroying a film, there was a print of a movie that's been rumored to have been destroyed or to go have gone missing. Is there a movie that you would love to have to see restored? 
Okay, so first thing I do in my time machine, just to, for the record, I just want to make sure it's clear. I'm going back and I'm killing Hitler. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're breaking Thanks, out Jack. the theater. We just with like Hitler in it. We all agree yeah. on that. Like everyone's yes. first answer to that question is always like, "Go back, kill Hitler." Then what? Are we, what, <laughs> then. what movie are we saving? <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you want to see? Yeah, what would you want to see restored? Um, yeah, I mean. There's so many wonderful films out there. I, I think, you know, I recently kind of dove into a lot of uh, Kino Lorber. I think it was Kino Lorber. Yeah. They did this really amazing um, box set, DVD box set called Pioneers. And it was all these female filmmakers, silent films uh, from, you know, the early, early days of cinema. Uh, because there were a lot of women working in cinema. And uh, they put together this. Re- I mean, it's like it's like eight hours or something. It's a lot of content. And I had the opportunity to watch a bunch of it and I would just love to find if the, if that's what they were able to find and put it together in a box set I have to imagine there are box sets worth of films that were lost either by the filmmakers that were included in this program uh, by the, that they put out or that we've never heard of so I would love to uh, find all those gems like uncover every single film that was made by a woman you know circa 1940 yeah right. <laughs> would be great channel, get on it <laughs> yeah, Criterion. I'm gonna call them up and demand it. So I think I would try to save all of those, all of those uh, reels of film and and bring them because it, it makes me wonder if if perhaps the landscape of female filmmakers within the Hollywood system would be different if there was more awareness and more content available. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Top that, Jack. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> that's not fair. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> Well, I do think, you know, it's sort of interesting, we, you know, we we're in a preservation bump right now, I feel like. And that's been going on for a number of years now where people are realizing, you know, this, the the importance of these older films. And, you know, there there was a time where this was not the case, where movies were more ephemeral um, and sort of thrown out when they were done because they just it was just a little bit more fast, you know, fast fashion, fast filmmaking, just get them out and show them and this idea of like preserving these or finding them. So I, I, I don't have anything off the top of my head, but I, I, I'm, I love uh, the silent film era and I've got to imagine that there's a Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin thing that just got nuked right after screening and that would always be like really interesting to find. Or The thing I get excited more about the time machine thing is that there's these places like, you know, Cuba or um, Eastern European countries that just like through the weirdnesses of how their countries were and their histories, like they have these films that are people are just starting to discover again because um, they've been in lockup. I remember when we were in Cuba, we met with these filmmakers and they told us these stories that the Cuban film archives are like sitting on these unbelievably like lost films. And it could be completely like uh, apocryphal, but it does sort of get it does sort of excite you. Like when they when I think it was in Argentina, when they found like the missing reels of Metropolis or something like that or um you know, the stories about um, rules of the game being stored in someone's attic after all the prints were lost and they found it again. It's like, oh, my God, this movie's amazing. So that's the sort of I mean, it's definitely a tantalizing question. Yeah. 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 All right. So I'll follow this up with and I know uh, a colleague of mine, Pat McDonald, asked this already. I kind of uh-huh. listened to his interview. Uh, what movie would you want to destroy? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's. I love that question. I can't remember what I said. Uh, I believe previously. it was uh, Fight Club and uh, yeah, which yeah, I agree with Fight was... Club. Fight Club is just testosterone porn. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. I. I. 
and Citizen Kane, I just, I think I just had a bad like film student experience where we had to watch it over and over and over again. Um, and I kind of, I remember I going never... to Columbia. Sorry to cut yeah. you off, oh, but no, I know, no, I know exactly. Where you I went to Columbia and they talked about Citizen Kane till I was blue in the face. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think just out of spite, I just <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to hear any more about Citizen Kane. Yeah. It's and then so it wasn't until years later. I, I loved it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, yeah, I think. You know, I'm trying to think of a different. I mean, Fight Club is still up there, even though I actually like in, enjoy it. And so, I mean, it's also a, an anniversary year this year, so it's kind of been in my mind. Um, 1999 films. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of want to like it's talking about these um, like these big breaks of these these um, you know canonized filmmakers like uh, like Orson Welles. I kind of almost want to like just for the experiment of it, destroy the thing that like made someone and see if they, if it was dumb luck, you know? So it's like, if you go back and you, you know what, I mean, I, I really like Sofia Coppola films, but like, you know, what if we just remove lost in translation from the conversation? Like, mm. you know, what happens then? Or, or, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody else who, who made something that was really incredible and, you know, sort of like, Oh, you know, Steven Soderbergh, Jack, you can probably, maybe it was sex lies and videotape, but maybe it was something else. And it's like, if we just remove that from the conversation that their big break film, you know, do they, do they break later? Like, do they still become the, the mm. auteurs as we, that we love, or maybe it was just that time and that film and that place and that person. So I like yeah. the idea of kind of just playing with history a little bit in that way. Yeah, that's interesting. Sort of the Back to the Future version of, uh, of, of yeah. Um, yeah, I think you know just to, and I know I'm maybe not uh, embracing the spirit of your question, uh, but you know we're not terrorists. Um, the no. idea is that we're not going through and like or like hitmen, like we're we're in. This is where it sort of flips slips into performance art a little bit. Is that we are inviting filmmakers with the prompt is you're going to make a film that gets screened once and then never seen again. The destruction is almost a symptom of the fact that we just don't want it seen again. It's less about the actual, like, destroying it, and it's more about the exercise. And it's interesting because we I do think this is relevant to the conversation because we've been sort of floating around both of these things, both on the filmmaking side of things of how does the filmmaker interpret a prompt where they don't have to worry about the future of the film, that they're just making it. So they're focusing on their craft, mm. they're focusing on expression, and they're focusing on, like, a singular screening experience. But the other thing that's sort of what this destroyer art is all about is the is the audience's point of view. And so one of the things that, you know, it's is about what how does it change the way you watch a film knowing that it's never going to be able to be seen again by anyone ever, that you're the only person in a group of 100 or 200 people, however many people come out to Inside Town on August 10th um, for with free beer from Goose Island. Uh, that's your plug. Um, it depends on, like, if you come to that room and you sit there, like, you're the only person who's ever going to be able to see this. And so that's sort of this amazing happening. And then what does that do to the way in which you watch and perceive not only that film or those five films that evening, but the next time you sit down to like just flip on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or whatever without even really thinking about it, and you're just like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to watch whatever. Like, does it potentially change the way you approach every time you watch a film? And that my hope is, or I think our hope is that it does affect you a little bit so that you say we sort of want the audiences to take more care, you know, I always I had a film school teacher who said the worst thing the worst thing that can happen to you is that you show a film and when the movie's done you know the people sitting in the theater they look to their date or whatever and they say what do you want for dinner yeah and the idea is like it just it moved them not at all it made them not think about anything you know it just it had no effect on them and I think as filmmakers and artists and 
potentially provocateurs. Like we want to engage our audiences in a more meaningful way than just fill their brains for or their eyeballs for 90 minutes or whatever with whatever. I think that's the sort of interesting thing here. And I do believe that with all these channels and all this, uh, the abundance of all the media coming at us in all the ways that it sort of does feel like white noise and people almost just start watching things because this is what fill in the blank, you know, blog or, or a critic said you should watch. And like, are we being as critical as, as viewers as maybe we could or should be? And I don't, I'm not a super elitist or want to get on a high horse, but I just think it's an interesting exercise. And, and I think it's a fun thing to think about, like to, how do you watch, how do you consume media and how do you, how do filmmakers make it and how do people consume it? Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think it'll certainly be interesting to see these movies and we will remember them because we will never see them again. Right. And there is yeah. sort of a, it's not a vitriolic experience destroying these films, no. but more of a spiritual one <laughs> and uh, a communal yeah. one that can bring us together. You know, it, it reminds me a bit of Werner Herzog eating his own shoe so his movie could be made, yeah. you know, where we go, <laughs> yeah. where we go that far. It's yes. so true. And, and, you know, the, the movie theater is like my church, you know, I mean, I love the, the dark cinema and the lights going down and watching with my fellow audience members, but I found that I, I have become the, my audience members, my fellow audience members sometimes are my enemies because, you know, the person in front of me is on their phone. I mean, I went and saw a movie and it was, you know, it's like Spider-Man or something. It's not, I'm not watching, you know, this, I mean, Spider-Man's super fun, but it wasn't, you know, someone's magnum opus or something. And, yeah. And, you know, the person in front of me, like, they they just had their cell phone on, like, from the jump. And I and I just, you know, and I'm, I'm an adult now, so I can, you know, nicely ask them to turn it off. But I just, I, I'm so fascinated and so frustrated by that because it, it's not this communal experience anymore because this guy is, you know, in front of me playing, you know, crossword or, like, whatever. Or he's, like, doing some game. And it's like, why are you here? Like, I mean, thank you for buying popcorn and like coming out and supporting your local movie theater. But like, but really, why are you here? And like, do you like Spider-Man? Do you want to watch this or do you want to play your game? And, you know, it, so it's just I just the idea of sitting in a movie theater and the lights going down and everybody paying attention to what's happening on the screen. Like, you know, just it's just it, it makes the, the arm the hair on my arm stand up because it's like that's what it's for. That's what that, you know, bright dark room bright wall is for um so with destroy your art we on august 10th at uh, inside town at seven o'clock with goose town beer um we uh we want to explore that and encourage people to remember that that's what it's about yeah i actually had the same exact experience when i saw spider-man far from home i had two teenagers yeah. looking at like one of the teenagers phone next to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, yeah. That's why I love the music box, like no phone policy. Yeah, like they will yeah. karate kick that phone out of your hand and throw you out of the theater. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you I appreciate that too. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I am addicted to my phone just like everybody else and I'm on my computer yeah. all day and, and I do Instagram and I do Snapchat and like, I'm not above that. Like I don't like live off the grid or anything, but I just, oh, yeah. you know, it's a sacred place. Like, turn off turn off your phone like that's number that's the only rule really there is you can you can get away with putting your feet on the seat in front of you but like at least turn off your phone so <laughs> i feel like Margo and, 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 I and with, put your feet on the seat yeah, yeah go for it. but and i will say the first year of destroy your art i you know i was running around and, and and planning and you know making sure the beer there was enough beer stocked and blah 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 and the photographer was you know 
taking photos of just the audience and not the screen and all that. And the first mm-hmm. film started and I, I did look on my phone because I was just making sure I don't, I don't even know. It's just a force of habit. And I was like, oh my gosh, like Rebecca, like put your phone away. Like or this extenuating is it. Like, circumstances. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so we hope, and we don't take people's phones away from them for destroy your art, but, um, but we do ask everybody to put their phones away and, you know, call at anybody who gets their phone out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, guys, for doing this. I'm I'm excited to uh, be there live and check it out for the first time ever. And uh, is there anything else you guys want to finish up on before I uh, let you go? Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to our artists. Uh, we have five, you know, it's five different people every year. Uh, and our five artists this year are really excited about uh, who we're welcoming. Uh, Amir George... Caitlin Martin, uh, Jim Vindiola, uh, an artist named Glam Hag, and then uh, Juliet Strangio. Am I saying that right, Jack? Yes. Strangio? Yes. Uh, so those five artists, I mean, they are as part, as much a part of this journey as we are. We're just the facilitators of the beer and the space and the fire, uh, but they are the ones who are presenting their um, their work, and also like they're the ones who, when we emailed them and invited them, they were like, "Yeah, let's do it." Like I'm on board, and it's a lot to ask someone to make an original film and then destroy it forever. And so we want to thank them for participating, and all of our filmmakers who participated every year. Um, we just really, literally, can't destroy art unless they make the art. So we we thank them so much. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I uh, dropped off the media to Glamhag the other day, and they were like. So do I get to destroy this? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the whole point. And they were like, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, yeah, it's like we can't do it. It wouldn't make sense if we destroy it. And they just finished a feature that just did at Outfest called Holy Trinity, which is really wonderful and hopefully it's coming here soon as well. And uh, they were so excited about the opportunity to just do something that is a little bit more something that's not so intense, like it's a feature and you have to worry about distribution and sales and all that other stuff, something that was a little bit more freeing. So, so yeah, I'm, we're looking forward. This is going to be an amazing batch of films this year. I think probably probably the best batch yet. So it's going to be a great Ooh. Yeah, I'm calling well, we, it. We have nothing to compare wow. it. We have nothing to compare them to. So right, exactly. No, you, no one will be able to hold me to that because there's no films that exist. <laughs> yeah good luck trying to find them that's when you need that time yes. to see them yes, yes. <laughs> well thank you so much rebecca thank you so much jack thank you uh yeah guys so Thanks, yeah, absolutely august 10th destroy your art uh what venue is it at again just so our audience knows sure it's at inside town uh which is an art space at 1954 south troy street um, and you can get tickets at destroyyourart.com or we'll have tickets available at the door. It's 10 bucks, and the beer is complimentary as long as we've got it and we've got a lot of it. All right. Thanks so much, guys. And uh, you, you have a great one. Thanks, you too. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mike. Well, that's it, folks. Uh, I hit the stop button. I'm recording on Skype. And seriously, back up everything. Just because your voice is coming through the computer doesn't mean that it's picking it up if you hear it. Don't be an idiot like me. (laughs) Again, thank you, Jack, and thank you, Rebecca, for coming on. And uh, I'm probably going to show you guys some video, uh, if I can take it, uh, we'll see if I can, of the destruction from the event, and uh, put it up on my Instagram, uh, put it up on uh, YouTube, maybe with a couple sound bites from this episode. And uh, uh, right now, I'm going to pound my head against the wall for uh, not... uh, 
you know, backing up that data, making that technical issue. But hopefully you guys still enjoyed the episode and uh, have a great one. And uh, you'll probably agree that I'm a moron. <laughs>